There's a story, and you may have heard it, that some years ago a famous actor was asked to come and speak at a dinner party, which was a big fundraising function. And apparently he was well known for his voice, for at the beginning of the speech or before he started his presentation, he asked if anyone in the audience had a request for a poem for him to recite because he was so well known for his voice. And after a long moment of silence, a pastor in the building raised his hand and said, would you recite the 23rd Psalm? Taken back, surprised a little bit, the actor um, agreed only if the pastor would come up afterward and recite it himself. And the pastor reluctantly said that he would do that as well. So the actor took his Bible, opened it up to the 23rd Psalm, and began to beautifully read this wonderful psalm. And everyone was so impressed with how eloquently he spoke and read this passage of Scripture. Well, after he was done, the old pastor got up and went up to the stage and opened his Bible to the 23rd Psalm and very nervously began to recite this psalm. Now, he wasn't as eloquent as the actor had been. He didn't have the tonality that the actor had. He wasn't as well-spoken. He was nervous. He tripped over some of his words. But as he finished up reading the 23rd Psalm, you looked out over the audience and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And the actor, realizing something was different here, came up and went and stood beside the old pastor. And he said, do you all realize what the difference was? Yes, I was eloquent. Yes, I speak well. Yes, God has given me a wonderful voice. But the difference is this. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I'm going to invite you today to know the shepherd. To come and see the good shepherd. And I want to do that by means of looking at this story, this passage that Skip read to us this morning from Luke chapter 2. Of these lowly shepherds out on the out in the field, watching the sheeps, they're, they're, they're sheep by night, sheeps, I don't know why I added an S to that, man, that was terrible English, watching their sheep by night out on the field as they had done so many nights before, this was normal, this was routine, this was their job. But this night would be different. This night would be unlike any other night they had ever experienced before. This night would change their lives. This night, God would send his messengers, the angels, to come and give them the announcement that his son had been born. That the Messiah had finally come. I want to look at this story here in Luke chapter 2. And I want us to see three reasons why I believe God chose shepherds as the first people to whom he revealed the birth of his son. I mean, the question is, why in the world would God choose shepherds? Now, to us in an era of everyone is equal, everyone has rights... 
We do not despise anyone for their job as long as it is legal, of course. We may secretly and privately make judgment on people because of the job they are in. But publicly, we say that all jobs are equal. And I agree. I I just I respect people who do work, who, of course, who are able to work if they're able to work and do work. It brings an amount of respect regardless of what their job is. But it wasn't so at the time or or at this time when we read this story. At this time, all jobs and all people weren't created equally. You had a position in life. There was a, a type of class system in place. And shepherds were at the bottom. They were the lowly. They were the discarded that we talked about last week. The marginalized. This is the job you did if you weren't good enough. If you weren't high enough in society to get any other job. As Lori read, they weren't even allowed in the temple to worship because they were unclean as shepherds. They weren't trusted in court because they were considered as untrustworthy. And yet God sent the message of the birth of his son first to the shepherds. Why in the world would God do that? I've put the passage up here and uh, Lisa, we're going to skip over that because uh, Skip read that to us. So you know the story. Jesus is born in a stable to Joseph and Mary as they are in Bethlehem for the census that Caesar was taking. And Mary goes into labor. There's no room in the inn. So the innkeeper kindly allows them to stay in his stable, in his barn, in a hole in the, uh, a cave, basically. A hole in the side of a hill. Mary gives birth to Jesus, the Son of God, there. And then we read, starting in verse 8, that while shepherds were keeping watch of their flocks by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and announced the birth of Jesus. Why in the world? Well, let me give you three reasons this morning why I believe God chose shepherds as the first people to whom he revealed the birth of his son. The first reason is because God wanted people to know that Jesus is the savior of all people, all who believe. Why would he start at the bottom? Why would he go to the lowliest? Because God wanted to make a point that this message, the birth of his son was for all people. No matter how small, no matter how lowly, no matter how seemingly insignificant, His coming is for you. His coming is for all. Isn't that what the angel said? I bring you great tidings, good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. All who believe. Jesus was not only born in a small one camel town called Bethlehem, like we talked about last week, but the first to receive the message of his birth were lowly, insignificant shepherds. 
You see, Jesus didn't only come to save those who were popular or those who were rich or those who were moral examples in their communities. Jesus also came to save people who were unpopular, who were poor, and who were viewed as sinners by the world. That's why the angel says in verse 10 that it would be for all the people. In fact, we find, and we see this not only in this story, but in all the Gospels and in all the New Testament and in all the Bible, that Jesus came for any and all who would believe. Isn't that what John 3.16 tells us? God loved the world so much that he gave us his only son that whoever believes will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. God was at this point and still is today showing us that all labels, all categories, all barriers that we use to separate people into different classes really mean nothing when it comes to the gospel. It means nothing. That's why we're having the meal we're having today. Yes, we're feeding people. Yes, we're giving them a meal for the holidays. We want them to have a little bit of comfort at this time of year. But that's not the primary reason we are doing this. And I think we all understand that. I hope that you all understand why we have this table set up, why we were taking collections last week, why we purchased turkeys, why we're cooking a meal, why we're inviting them here. Yes, there are many who take advantage of the system. There are many who are coming just to get what they want. But I'm here to tell you today, and I have to tell myself this every day. Jesus came for them too. And I know this because he came for me. And if he came for me, by golly, he came for anybody. And why, why can I say if he came for me, he came for anybody? Because I'm no different than anybody else. Simply put, we are all sinners. So when we say, and, and the Pharisees said this, why does he hang out with the sinners? The answer is it's all he can hang out with because we're all sinners. Jesus only came for sinners. Now, if you're not a sinner, he didn't come for you. The problem is the Bible is very clear that we are all sinners. The bad news is we are all sinners. The good news is he came for sinners. It means he came for you, if you would believe. No person can live in the presence of God's glory. Because each and every one of us is a sinner who deserves God's wrath. But he, God, will come to any of us sinners who will truly call on him and trust in him as Lord and Savior by grace through faith. Each and every one of us, all of us, deserve God's wrath. That's the clear truth of the gospel. That's why God sent his son to die. It was the only hope we would ever have of being delivered, of being saved. And the shepherds understood this very 
clearly. They understood that to be in the presence of a holy God means one thing for sinners. And what is that, church? What does it mean for sinners? The big D word, death. To be in the presence of a holy God for sinners means death. That's why I believe they were so terrified. It wasn't just that voices and angels came out of nowhere in the middle of the night, although I'm sure that was scary enough. It was because they recognized almost immediately that the being in front of them was not human. This was a divine being or from the divine, an angel, a messenger of God. And so the level of of being scared and terrified jumped up significantly. We sang the song this morning, angels, we have heard uh, have heard on high. And it's one of the lines is there. One of the lines in the in the song is what the gladsome tidings tell. And as we were singing that, I thought that's probably close to what the shepherd said. What the gladsome tidings tell, you know, they saved themselves from saying something they shouldn't say. (laughs) I'm sure there was a what the in their vocabulary at the moment. What in the world is happening here? We're goners. We are in the presence of holiness. And we know this because verse 9 says, The glory of the Lord Lord shone around them. And then we find out, and they were terribly frightened. They were so afraid. I mean, I need a new pair of pants kind of afraid. On their faces, thinking it's over type of afraid. They were sinners in the midst of the glory of God. They understood they were sinners. There was no pretense. There was no misunderstanding about their station in life. They didn't feel they were entitled to anything. They didn't feel like they were worth anything. They understood they deserved nothing. They were lowly. They were disgusting. They were unclean. They were sinners. And here they were, having found themselves in the presence of a holy God. We would do well, church, to learn from these shepherds, to understand our position juxtaposed to the position of a holy God. In fact, I can imagine them looking at each other and just saying, well, fellas, it's been nice knowing you because it's over now. But then they heard these words. Those words that must have filled their hearts with joy. Verse 11, the angel says, Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the the good news of that, of course, is that Christ the Lord is born. The Savior has been born. But I want you to understand what the angels say here that probably gave them the uh, the greatest sense of joy. The message itself, of course, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus has been born. He's been born in this city, just as the Old Testament prophesied. But listen to what the angel says. Does the angel, does the angel say, there has been born for Israel? There has been born for the religious? There has been born for the worshipers at the temple? There has been born for the rich? There has been born for the worthy? Is that what the angel says? 
No, who did they say that he had been born for in verse 11? Who did the angels say Jesus had been born for? You. Speaking directly to the shepherds for you, shepherds. For you. Now, they had just said it's for all the world, so it's for all the peoples, everyone else, but it is also for you. Oh, how their hearts must have sung. You mean just because they won't let us in the temple because they call us unclean, yet God says he is for me? For me? The good news is that, yes, the Savior was born. Without that news, nothing else matters. All hope is lost. Yes, he has been born. He has come to save the world the really good news is that his coming was for all people all over the world, even you. That means anybody. That means our neighbors. That means the ones coming today. That means the ones halfway around the world. That means the ones we see on TV doing horrible and gruesome things to other people. And it also means you. And now sinful people through the blood of Jesus can enter into the living, glorious presence of a holy God and find life instead of death. I believe he chose shepherds because he wanted to make us know for sure to see clearly that his coming was for all. People, all who would believe. That's the first reason I believe he came to shepherds. The second reason I believe he came to shepherds was because Jesus himself came to be a shepherd. Why did he choose shepherds to come to? Because he came to be a shepherd himself. In fact, he came as the good shepherd to shepherd the hearts of people. He came so that he might lead us to green pastures of eternal life with God. Now, just because these shepherds were not allowed in the temple, they were Jews. And as Jews, they were taught their Bible, what we know as the Old Testament. And in their Bible, the Old Testament, God had promised to send his people a kingly shepherd to save them and care for them. God had spoken through his prophet Ezekiel almost 600 years before that evening. And he said through Ezekiel, as Ezekiel wrote in chapter 34, verses 22 through 24, therefore I will deliver my flock and they will no longer be a prey and I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, And he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, we understand what he means by my servant David is the descendant of David's throne who would sit on the throne forever. And his name is Jesus, Messiah. God had promised a shepherd 600 years plus before. 
why he came to shepherds, I believe, at least one of the reasons, because that was his purpose in coming, to be a shepherd himself. And these shepherds may not have been invited to the temple, but I can't imagine they hadn't been taught their scriptures as little boys and girls being taught the word of God. They understood a shepherd would come. So I would say that these shepherds knew that the Messiah would come to be a shepherd to his people. They understood what it meant to be shepherds of sheep. And now they were being called to be the sheep who would follow a shepherd. They understood what it meant to follow a shepherd. For sheep to follow the shepherd, how necessary it was for the sheep to follow the shepherd. How detrimental and dangerous it could be when the sheep went off on its own and refused to follow. They understood like no one else. And so it would make sense that they were the first to hear the shepherd has come. It's time to follow. And we hear this wonderful invitation from Jesus himself in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And we read verses 1 through 11. And the gospel speaks to the validity that Jesus is truly a shepherd. John 10, 1 through 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm sorry, I'm reading in Luke here. It's like, man, that's not, that's not it. It's true. It's God's word. Um, maybe I should have finished it and then we moved on. We're just going to read the whole Bible today, okay? Turn to Genesis chapter 1. I hope you're comfortable because we're going to be here a while. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And Jesus is still speaking here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. What an understatement that is to say he's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the wonderful shepherd. He's the loving shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Let me tell you, and let me tell you by telling you what a shepherd does 
so that we can emphasize what Jesus does for us. And he does it perfectly. He does it generously. He does it gracefully. The first thing a shepherd does is a shepherd provides. A shepherd takes care of his sheep and he provides for them. He provides safety. He provides nourishment. He provides green pastures. He takes them to where it's best for them. A good shepherd provides. Our shepherd has provided life. He has provided salvation. What does it say in verses 10 through 11? The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in order to guard them from the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan gives. I give life. I provide deliverance. I came across this interesting fact about sheep keeping. Uh, A few years back in the area of British Columbia, Canada... Some farmers were having problems with wolves coming in and killing their sheep. So they began to have meetings with other sheep farmers to try to figure out how to deal with this problem of wolves coming in. The majority of the local people favored shooting or poisoning the marauding wolves to take care of the problem, to get rid of them, to protect their sheep. At one meeting, a woman strode to the microphone, though, and uh, as they... She began to list her impressive credentials and explain her solution. She was an expert, and this was her idea. So let me read to you what her idea was. She said, vasectomy is the answer. Simply trap the wolves humanely, neuter the males, and release them. And she sat down. Well, the people looked a bit puzzled. Some grumbled under their breath and said, let's just kill them. One grizzled old sheep farmer rose to his feet and politely said, Ma'am, no respect meant to you, you being an expert and all, but them wolves is killing my sheep, not trying to make love to them. Hopefully I have a job tomorrow. I thought that was funny. The devil doesn't love you. He's not trying to be your friend. He's not trying to do what's best for you. This world doesn't have your best at heart. Sin is not your friend. Sin will not ultimately satisfy you. Your own flesh is out to destroy you. The enemy is not trying to love you. He is trying to kill you. And there is only one who can protect us from the outsider, from the villain, from the enemy. We as sheep, we're exposed. We're at risk. We cannot protect ourselves. But there is a good shepherd who will provide for us. And he will provide life. He will provide abundant life. That is what a good shepherd does. He provides safety. He provides sustenance. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, and he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He provides for our needs, both our spiritual needs and our physical needs. 
A good shepherd provides salvation. Once again, in verses 9 through 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He does that so that he can save us. He pays the debt that we owe because of our sin. If there is danger, if there is trouble, the good shepherd provides a way out. He provides protection. He provides sustenance. He provides safety. He provides salvation. A good shepherd provides. That's not all a good shepherd does. A good shepherd also leads. Look at verse 11 in Luke chapter 2. Today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the who? Christ the what? Lord. Christ the Lord. Christ the Master. He is not only the Savior, but He is, He was and is Christ the Lord. Christ Messiah, the Anointed One, King. He is Lord. He is God. As the divine shepherd, he is Lord of all. And so in coming to him, we are beckoned to follow him, to obey him. Why? Because he has the best for us. He shows us where the good pastures are, where to lie, where to eat, where to stay. Jesus is the anointed one, anointed by God the Father. And as God himself, he is Lord and has every right to your life. He has the right to lead you, to command you, to call you wherever and whenever to whatever. A good shepherd leads. Now that's what a shepherd does. He provides and he leads. He takes care of us. What is our job in this relationship? What does a sheep do? What what does a sheep do? He follows. That's it. A sheep's only job is to follow the shepherd. Look at verse 4 in Luke chapter 2. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. I'm sorry. That was John. Woo. Good thing it's all God's word, right? Amen. Amen. Wow. Good thing God can use stupid sheep, huh? Amen. John John 10, chapter 4. John chapter 10, verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They recognize his voice. They understand his desire for them, his love for him. And so they just merely follow him. They follow the shepherd because they know in his path is the presence of life. That he leads them in paths of righteousness. That he leads them to treasures, to abundant life, to goodness. But it is only found in following the shepherd. And what is this called? What is it called when we follow Jesus? What's the term we give to it? It's called discipleship. 
We are called to be disciples. Or simply put, we are called to be followers. Discipleship is fellowship. That's what we are called. We are called to be disciples. And then, of course, we are called to make disciples. Disciple making disciples is what we've been called to be. And there are many aspects to what this is to look like. Many ways to go about being a disciple. Of course, it's always following Jesus, but there's different routes. There's praying, there's reading your Bible, there's being in church, there's being in small groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them. And so as our way, because as, as a leader, as leaders of this church, we have a responsibility to provide discipleship opportunities to you. And one of the ways that we are doing that is this semester we're starting up our life groups in January. So that we might seek his word together as we seek his will together. Our theme for this coming semester is step up. As you can see here, I've put up a little slide and this is not shameless promotion. This is application here, church. This is application for following the shepherd. This is us giving you opportunities to live out discipleship in your life. And to learn to be what it means to be a disciple. To become more like Jesus. To learn how to share your faith. To learn how to make other disciples. All of those things that we are called to. And we are giving you three options. Foundations of the faith. Praying with Paul. And then there's going to be a Bible book study out of 1 Timothy. Now let me just briefly and quickly tell you about, just a little bit about these. There's going to be a sign-up sheet in the back. There is a sign-up sheet in the back. You can go to our website, to our Life Groups page, and sign up there. Foundations of the Faith is part of what we've just come out with called our core classes. I sent an email out about this, and in your bulletin, there is a little sheet that explains all three of these. So you can refer to that. We are starting a, a, a program called Core Classes, and it's going to be a comprehensive discipleship strategy or process. It's going to be uh, made up of six different classes. We're not going to offer them all at the same time. We're going to unveil them uh, throughout as, as we go forward. Every semester, there's going to be at least two probably offered. Over a six-year span, each of these classes will be offered at least twice. And it is what we see and what others see as, um, I think, a very comprehensive discipleship strategy and process so that if you start at the beginning and go through the end, it doesn't guarantee your godliness or your spirituality because only God can bring that about. But I do believe you will get an essential overview of what it means to be a Christian and what it looks like to live out your faith. And so... That's foundation of the faith is just the first one in that series. Number two is praying with Paul. And it looks through Paul's epistles to look at his principles of prayer that we might feel more confident in our own prayer life and pray with more power as Paul did. And then our first Timothy study is exactly what it says. It's a study through the book of first Timothy. Paul wrote to Timothy about the structure and order of the local church. And in studying what Paul is telling Timothy, we can understand the church better and how we might live within the context of the church better to glorify God more so in our life. Um, as you can see, the time frames of these studies up there. Our theme is to step up and you can see the tagline there. You may not be able to see it. I don't know. It's take another step. Take another step up 
on your journey of discipleship. And that's our goal, is for all of us to continually take steps up as we seek Christ, as we grow closer to Him. And we are providing these opportunities for you. They start January 11th. The sign-up sheets are in the back. Our job is to follow the shepherd. And here's an opportunity to do that. So why did God come to the shepherds? Well, first, he wanted to show that he came for all, all who would believe. Secondly, because he himself came to be a shepherd. And then third, I believe he came to the shepherds because Jesus, the good shepherd, came to be a lamb for sacrifice. He himself was not only a shepherd, but he was the lamb who would carry the weight of our punishment on himself. And I just want to go to four verses of scripture here to show this point. I won't labor on it. I just want to read to you from God's word to show this to be so. Isaiah 53, 7 says this. He, and this is speaking of the Messiah, was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Listen to this. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. Jesus came to be a lamb. A sacrificial lamb for us. John 1, 29, The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. And just so there's no confusion, the blood of Christ. It is by the blood of Jesus alone that we are saved. My friends, he didn't just come to be a conquering king. He came to be the sacrificial lamb of God. Like a lamb whose life is bled out of it. As it dies for the sins of others. So Jesus allowed every drop of his blood to be shed on our behalf. I believe he came to shepherds because he would be the lamb for us. And the last verse is Revelation 7, 9 through 17. And I'm going to make sure that I'm in Revelation and I'm in chapter 9 chapter 7 oh Lord help me this is why we do this together because if I was all alone wow I'd be in trouble good thing he came for the low huh it's a good thing he came for idiots too Oh, thank you, Lord. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in his hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, I want us to recognize all the nations are sitting around him because he came for who? For all. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. This is where the lamb becomes the shepherd. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. I love that. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How can that not move you? Every tear will be wiped away when we stand in the presence of both the Lamb and our Shepherd. The Reverend H.A. Ironside once told a story of when he was preaching in a small town of in the small town of Roosevelt, Washington, on the north bank of the Columbia River. And let me read to you what he said. He said, "I was the guest of friends who were sheep raisers." It was lambing time, and every morning we went out to see the lambs, hundreds of them, playing about on the green. One morning I was startled to see an old ewe, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, an old ewe, go loping across the road, followed by the strangest looking lamb I had ever beheld. That's a girl sheep, an ewe. That's a girl sheep, by the way. I don't know why they don't just say girl sheep. You, not me. Oh. Followed by the strangest looking lamb I had ever beheld. It apparently had six legs. And the skin seemed to be partially torn from its body in a way that made me feel the poor little creature must be suffering terribly. But when one of the herders caught the lamb and brought it over to me, the mystery was explained. That lamb did not really belong originally to that girl sheep. She had a lamb which was bitten by a rattlesnake and died. This lamb that I saw was an orphan and neither the mother's care. But at first, the bereft ooh refused to have anything to do with it. You, sorry. She sniffed at it when it was brought to her. Then she pushed it away, saying as plainly as a sheep could say, that is not our family odor. Do you have a family odor? Yep. So the herders skinned the lamb that had died and very carefully drew the fleece over the living lamb. This left the hind leg coverings dragging loose. Thus covered, the lamb was brought again to the girl sheep. She smelled it once more and this time seemed thoroughly satisfied and adopted it as her own. Pastor Ironside went on to say, It seemed to me to be a beautiful picture of the grace of God to sinners. We are all outcasts and have no claim upon his love. But God's own son, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, has died for us. And now we who believe are dressed up in the fleece of the lamb who died. Thus, God has accepted us in him. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
we are as dear to the heart of the Father as His own holy, spotless Son. Because we have been dressed with His righteousness. The shepherd came. He provided. He protected. He provided salvation by laying down His own life. The shepherd became the Lamb. And through Him, we can be saved. Anybody and everybody. Because He came for all who would believe. John 10.9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. That is Jesus speaking to you this morning. That is Him inviting you to come to Him, the Good Shepherd. And so I invite you today, my friends, to come and see this shepherd, to come and see the good shepherd, to come and see this one who is both the good shepherd and the lamb of God who can take away the guilt of your sin. Come as sheep and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, and he will lead you to green pastures of eternal, abundant life. With God, and you will be satisfied. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son, and thank you for sending the message, the announcement of his birth to shepherds of all people, so that we would be reminded that you came for us as well. You came for all if we would just believe. If we would believe, you would save us. You would offer the gift of eternal life to us, to every single one of us in here, no matter how small or insignificant we feel, no matter how lowly we are, no matter how much sin we've done. You sent him that the message might be a joy to all people, that his coming might mean the redemption of every single person if they would but believe. Oh, Father, this invitation is not from me today. It is from the heart of your son. It is from your heart, oh God. Your heart to every single individual in here to come and to know you as a good and loving caretaker, as Savior, as Redeemer. Oh God, if there is one in here who has rejected that message or who has just disregarded it, let today be the day of turning. Let today be the day of coming and knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Greg leads us in this song of invitation, would you respond today? You can stand, you can sit, whatever you need to do to get real with God today, to make sure you know him as your shepherd.